Hello, Chris. How was your VIF? Uh, it was um, pretty good. I spent a lot of time at home because I ended up getting a cold. Oh, that's too bad. But uh, still managed to see a healthy handful of films. And uh, I know you saw lots of stuff, so what are we doing today? Uh, today we can talk about, um, just briefly touch on some of the highlights and some of our favorites that we have seen. We've already talked about six of the films um, in part one and part two of our VIF podcast series. So this will be, I think, just touching on a few of the uh, standouts from VIF's 2018. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe just run down and see what our favorites were. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's your number five? My number five is a movie from the States called uh, What They Had, starring Michael Shannon, Hilary Swank, uh, Blythe Danner, and Robert Forster. Mm-hmm. And it was a family drama about the matriarch of a family uh, succumbing to dementia and Alzheimer's. Right. And how the adult kids in that family and the husband deal with this impending tragedy. Uh, What I liked about it most was that the male characters are the primary caregivers, which to me is Mm. a reversal of how one often sees it. You often see Mm -hmm. a sort of self-sacrificing daughter in the role of caregiver. And then you have a very crusty Michael Shannon is actually in the role of caregiver and Robert Forrester, who's a very gruff kind of, I fought in the Korean war dad Mm. being the very tender caregiver for Blythe Danner. So I I enjoyed that it was sort of a role reversal of how family dynamics usually play out when someone has to become a primary caregiver for Mm. a loved one. I was about to say that Robert Forster can only play gruff, but then I I remember Jackie Brown. And there's some, like, really tender moments in that movie. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. Max Cherry, the uh, bounty Mm. hunter. Yeah. Um, He's so good in this movie. Yeah. He's just mesmerizing he is so pitch perfect as this crusty dad so uh i'm sure it'll get a wide release it's got some pretty heavy hitting stars it feels a bit oscar baity so i suspect you will see this movie uh get a wide theatrical release Mm. cool yeah i recommend it and what about you uh i am gonna have to go for a tie for five and six kind Uh of thing just because i couldn't I, i couldn't Decide between both the MIA documentary and Finding Big Country. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Two very entertaining documentaries. But also very different, I think. Yeah. Like, D- different in, in feel, for sure. Like, I guess, the, I guess MIA was entertaining just for being able to watch her persona and mm-hmm. her sort of, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit attitude. But it's also it's also, like, kind of infuriating in certain ways and shocking in other ways just in terms of you know the footage that you're seeing of of this um civil war in sri lanka mm-hmm. um i don't know if you call it a civil war i guess it's like two groups of people within yeah, the country yeah. fighting each other so i guess that's just that's what a civil is war unrest is unrest or civil war i'm not sure but anyway um whereas finding big country is more of just a feel good you know let's look at a part of Vancouver's past and um, and have some fun with it and but but at the same time you you do have that connection with um, with Cat Jamie the director's kind of own 
personal journey through the game of basketball and and becoming a filmmaker and that kind of thing. So um, I don't think I need to go beyond that, just given that we spoke about both of those in our part two episode. But um, yeah, those are tied for my number five. Yeah, and you did mention that uh, it is playing at the Rio a little later in the Mm. month. And Mm -hmm. I think it was honestly such a crowd pleaser. I think both screenings were sold out. Yeah. So I think if Cat just did, you know, rounds for the next four weeks, I think it would be a full house almost every time. I think people yeah. are very hungry to see this documentary. What is your number four? My number four is Dawnland, which uh, is a movie out of the United States, and it will actually air on PBS on November fifth. And it is the story of the truth and reconciliation movement in Maine, in the USA. Mm -hmm. And they travel through five uh, Wabanaki nations in order to gather testimonies from um, indigenous people who have, similar to Canada, been sent to residential school or have had more children removed from their homes than that of the majority culture. So... One of the leads for the Truth and Reconciliation Movement in Maine is actually Rachel George, who's from the Ahousat Nation here just off the coast of Tofino. Mm. She's also a professor at UVic. So it was kind of nice to have that BC connection mm. as well. And I think she had you know, seen how tr- Truth and Reconciliation had gotten started here in Canada and continues to build momentum yeah, yeah. and was able to take that knowledge to Maine and... Um, it was a profoundly moving documentary, very painful to watch, yeah. um, but necessary. So I highly recommend it. So set your PBR for PBS November 5 for Dawnland. Do we get PBS here? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I imagine that whole process would be a lot harder to gain any traction on a, on a national level. Not, yeah. Not just because of President Trump, but um, just just given the way that the states operates, like I feel like most stuff ends up happening on a state level. Although, I, although I guess I guess gay marriage was was on a national level. I, I just get really confused in terms of like I do, what I do too. Yeah. What states can do and what what yeah. the federal government does and whatever. I don't know. Well, one of the filmmakers, it was directed by Adam Mazo and Ben Pender Cudlip, and Ben was there, and uh, a question from the audience was, "You can." he shows a map of the United States and shows where residential schools were in the U.S., and of mm-hmm. course, just like here, it's everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. You know, from, from Boston to California, Arizona to Texas, it's everywhere. Yeah. And so she had asked and, and, if there and, was a and national like the, movement. The, 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 the types of schools, like or like the... the the goal of, exactly of just the kind same. of kill the Indian, yeah, save yeah, yeah. the man. Interesting. Just, yeah. Even though, you know, they must've had their own Indian act as yeah. we had here in Canada. So one of the questions from the audience was, is there, you know, momentum for a national movement? And I think it's exactly what you said. I think there's just so much fracturing within the States yeah. and each state is almost its own fiefdom. So I don't know how nationally they could come together uh, and have a national truth and reconciliation movement. But yeah. if it starts out regionally and grows, that's all very positive and very hopeful. Mm-hmm. So, Dawnland, catch it, watch it, cry. It's great. Cool. 
And you. Edge of the Knife, mm-hmm. which, again, we already spoke about. I always, I, 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 like, I'm, I, I've got this list together, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, fuck, well, I, I think I have to reorder things. Because yeah, I, I always, I have a really hard time with ranking things, just generally. And, like, I have a pretty good idea of, of kind of what my favorite movies are. But like, I feel like that could change pretty easily and like oh you asked me my desert island you know movies yeah today they'll be different than when you asked me at 2 p.m on saturday afternoon but is there is there like one that you would know for sure nope yeah there okay. is at this moment yeah. and then there won't be three days from now it'll be a different one yeah because so. like pretty consistently for for the past five or six years i, I would say punch drunk love's been my favorite movie and that that hasn't really changed and i've and i've revisited a few times in that time and i still i still love it i think for like a year boogie nights was uh mm. was paul and i we watched we had it on dvd and i think we just watched it like 114 times oh but my God. i i think that that wouldn't be my number one at this moment yeah so yes anyway. i agree this is very hard and now i'm regretting that i didn't say edge of the knife but i'm glad that you did right well that's and i will piggyback on to your enthusiasm so, so we could we could basically just combine our top five into a top ten and, that's, and have that's more true. coverage that's true yeah. is that how math works so so our collective number seven yes that doesn't that, that doesn't seem fair though because since i started second oh, then yeah. i get the number one slot sure <laughs> Hey, wait a second. <laughs> anyway, uh, my number four is Edge of the Knife. We already talked about it at length. Uh, it won Best BC Film and Best Canadian Film, I believe, yeah. um, at the uh, the awards for VIF. Um, so it will definitely make a reappearance at some point or another. Um, and it, it has telefilm backing as well. So, you know, if... Um, if there's any hope in the world that we'll get a theatrical release, mm-hmm. a, prop, a proper theatrical release, um, but that doesn't seem likely. I'd say more likely it uh, it gets a few nights at the Van City Theater and right. then ends up on on. But think of where it could go. Like, could it go to the MOA out at UBC? Could it go to the like Museum of Vancouver? Could it go yeah. to the Royal Provincial Museum downtown yeah, I mean, Victoria? Like, I think, like this, I, like, this like could, could travel. Tour, yeah, so it could well. tour around. But in terms of in terms of a a broad theatrical release, yes. I just don't yeah. I don't really see that being in the cards. I don't either. But boy, I hope a lot of people get a chance to see this in mm-hmm. whatever form it will take. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just a dynamite movie. Yeah, and I mean, I guess like that brings up an interesting point that like you don't really need a theatrical release anymore. Like Netflix just tosses dozens of movies onto their onto their right. service and their Netflix original movies but they don't even bother to try and market them because they just get put into their algorithm and right. fed to the people that might be interested in them at a certain point right. um, and I'm sure that's not a great feeling for the filmmakers but at least they know that it's in circulation somewhere certainly and <laughs> it's going to get more exposure than um, than you know a couple nights at the Rio and and, right. and bye bye after that yeah, let's hope it uh, makes its way around. Mm-hmm. Hope so. Number three. Number three, or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Quiet Killing, which is uh, en français, and I'm going to butcher this, is Ce silence qui tue, the silence that kills. And like Highway of Tears um, that William and I talked about 
last month, this is uh, another movie that explores the murdered and missing indigenous women across the country mm-hmm. and why are indigenous women eight times more likely to be the victim of violence than women in the majority culture. Mm. And it is uh, a film by Kim Obasawan and... Um, or Obamsawan? Obamsawan, pardon me. And she was also at the screening, which was great, along mm-hmm. with Angel Gates, uh, who was in last year's Luck Lucky. Oh, right, yeah, from yeah. The yeah. And um, you were saying you were saying that it was nice to, oh, to, so see, good her to see her <laughs> alive. <laughs> yeah, her character comes to a bad end in Luck Lucky, and yeah. it was just um, my heart just sang when she is the opening. Uh, the movie opens, the documentary opens with her on her Vespa going through the downtown east side, which yeah. is how Luck Lucky opened. And it was just so great to see her alive. And uh, they all took questions from the audience. And Angel asked, how many people in the audience are indigenous mm-hmm. or are not indigenous? And I guess there was 40% of us maybe that put up our hands. Mm-hmm. And she said, it's so great that you are here to bear witness to these stories. Thank you for being a part of it. And it felt really profound. It was the first time I've probably ever been to a movie in which I might have been the minority culture I, Yeah, I, I would have expected the opposite, yeah. Me too. That's interesting. So it was really refreshing, and it felt really special to be a part of that screening. And sort of another reason why the, the VIF is special is that you do get to ask questions of the filmmakers, you do get to see people from the cast, and you do get to be a part of something that I think is can be really profound. So Mm -hmm. I felt very lucky to be a part of that screening. and uh, Luck lucky? (laughs) Quiet killing. (laughs) (laughs) I felt luck lucky. Yes, that's right. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So it will be available on APTN, but I don't have a date. I checked the website and I just couldn't seem to find when it would stream, but the filmmaker said it would be on APTN, streaming sometime in November. So I hope that... um, Someone will have better luck checking that catalog than I did, or maybe just waiting for it to get uploaded or however it would work for the library. But please keep an eye out for that documentary. It is, uh, it's really fantastic. It's again, it's very, it's very sad, uh, but very vital. Hmm. So it's my recommendation. Cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm making a, I'm making a last minute shuffle around here and I'm going to say that my number three which I originally put as my number one is Shoplifters. Oh, okay. And this is uh, Hirokazu Koreeda's newest feature film. I think we talked about Afterlife. Have you seen Afterlife? I haven't. Oh, okay. Um, William has uh, has recommended it. Yeah. So I've seen I've seen like four of his movies. One of them being Afterlife, which is a really cool movie. It's it's like people. That have just died and before going to heaven, basically heaven is just you reliving your favorite memory over and over again. And so you have to choose what that memory is and then recreate it on film. Um, And so they have like a whole production crew and (laughs) and actors and whatever to to help you recreate this memory. Um, And and it's just just really interesting how out of... um, like a high concept like that, he's he's able to like just build so much humanity into into all of it, and I guess that really just defines all of his movies that I've seen. Like they they all 
I, I mean, the other three don't have any kind of fantastical elements to them in that way right. that I've, that at least that I've seen, but, um, they all, they all have these kind of melodramatic elements that I think in lesser hands would, would just, you know, it would just be the melodrama, but he's able to, to just flesh out these, these characters that are so complex and and change so much throughout the throughout the two hours that you're watching them and you know you really you in what in one instance you're you're with them and then you're against them and um i just find i just find his movies really captivating in that way and um this one is about a family that uh, that takes in this young girl who they just kind of see sitting out on her balcony during the winter and um you know you can hear the parents fighting inside and so they just say hey why don't you come with us and um not really giving any thought to the fact that this is technically kidnapping (laughs) (laughs) so so then you 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 kind of are brought into their home and um there's uh, there's a number of siblings and then there's another kid and there's a grandmother and there's there's a couple kind of unexpected twists and turns in terms of the plot but most of it is really just these these people who um, you know are struggling to get by and so they they often go out and and shoplift in in grocery stores and and you know the 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 parents kind of pass that on to the to the kids as a as a way of of you know uh, earning money and 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 just getting by right um but um yeah i mean i think i think maybe why i thought to to lower it on my list is is because it i don't I don't necessarily hold it in the same esteem as some of his other movies that I've seen, but maybe that's not an accurate way to look at things or whatever. Um, But I guess ultimately I just wanted to give the spotlight to some other stuff that we saw. Um, Shoplifters are still really good. And um, in general, I, I I would recommend that people seek out his other movies i saw this one like father like son at vif maybe four years ago mm-hmm. and um that's like one of my all-time favorite movies oh, really? it's, it's um it's about a, a two two families where they find out that their their sons were swapped at birth oh. um in the hospital accidentally and um but this is like 10 years later that they find out and so it's kind of like what do we do you know the drama that ensues and and the pathos and 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 just just how everything plays out is just it really hit home home for me personally but it's also just fantastically well made so that is all i have to say for now it seemed to be a very popular movie like when i was waiting in line for viff things or when i was in the audience waiting for a movie to start shoplifters was something that everyone was everyone was talking about yeah so and and, you know maybe maybe part of it is that like i i was kind of i kind of wasn't on board with like where where some of the characters went later on and so I, i feel like i need to like watch it again to determine if if like it's it's like a fundamental moral issue that i have with the movie or if it's just 
the characters or it's it's just one of those things where like it's just it's just not really entirely satisfying sitting, but si- you it's just not sitting well for me why. yeah but uh yeah definitely worth checking out okay. what is your number two my number two is picking up the pieces the making of a witness blanket so uh it is a documentary about the artist Carrie Newman, uh, and it's directed by uh, Newman and Cody Graham. Oh, this is the big quilt. It's a quilt, <laughs> but it is not made of fabric, if that oh, makes sense. Right, right. So it's almost like um, if you've ever seen a dance curtain in, like at the MOA or the Royal Provincial Museum downtown, it's, it's a hard structure, so it's made of wood and other mm. things. So he is gathering artifacts from across Canada from residential schools. Mm. So a pair of old skates, a doorknob from, you know, a residential school in Mission, um, uh, a prayer book from a residential school on Mears Island off of Tofino. So all the way across the country, grabbing artifacts, bricks, doorknobs, things to put into this quilt in quotation marks, but it is one made of wood and has a a number of different panels. Mm -hmm. And so... As, he's, as he and his staff are gathering these artifacts, they are also getting testimonies from people who attended those residential schools, some of which are just fallow and fallen into ruin. Others are have ter- been turned into community centers or colleges. Um, but there's something rather haunting about seeing them either occupied or unoccupied that just feels sickening. Mm-hmm. So even just something about that building um, makes one queasy. Mm-hmm. And he, his father is a survivor of the residential school system, and he's a local Vancouver artist. And uh, great documentary. Uh, I keep trying to find out where the quilt is. They give an address on Regina Street in Victoria, but I'm not sure if it is on display somewhere. It was touring, but because it is so fragile and large... They had to stop touring with it, so they were going across the country with it. So I'm afraid I can't tell you where the witness blanket is currently residing, Mm. but um, I will try and give any updates if I know them, but I would love to be able to see this piece of art. I wonder if you can see it from Google Earth. (laughs) So I highly recommend that film uh, as well. But again, sorry, I don't don't mean to to make light of the subject matter of the movie. I just... (laughs) Thought of a stupid thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's that. Cool. What about you? Um, my number two, which I am just going to flip a coin at this point. I'm going to say this mountain life. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a, fl- a flip a coin in the sense that I was picking between two, not in the sense that I was just randomly selecting from yeah. the... Uh, the, all the movies that I saw, but um, yeah, this one, I think, I think one one way that it's easy for me to quantify, um, like what it, what my favorite movie is, or um, you know, like when I'm like when I'm adding a movie to Letterboxd, what I give the rating, it's really easy for me to quantify, just kind of a, an instinctual emotional reaction I get from it in a way, and this movie just gave me a lot of. Of um, like, do you ever, like do you ever get that feeling of um, like you get the chills when you're watching music mm-hmm. or li- sorry listening to music? Absolutely. Um, 
But so the, the 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 interesting thing about that is there's a, there's a, a podcast that I listen to and he kind of got into the science behind that kind of tingly feeling you get and it's I guess they they refer to it as frisson oh. and. Um, he was saying he was saying that like there's certain there's certain ways of like like a songwriter can almost elicit that reaction out of you in a way like it can like, be it can be, be manipulated, manipulated out of you really um, just in this just in the sense of like unexpected chord changes bring it on oh. or these things and like like things that you wouldn't necessarily like a songwriter might not set out to do that but like you can on a neurological level you can you can trace it back to this because you know that for you know this broad group of people it happens at that exact moment or whatever right. but for me i find i find that it more so is just when i feel really connected to something mm-hmm. regardless of of kind of what the style of music is or, right. or whatever um and and this movie just just the i guess i guess just the 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 beauty of the imagery but also, uh, like like well, like we talked about before, kind of the the almost like religious feeling that you get mm-hmm. out of out of kind yeah. of these the the passion that these people have for for living in the mountains or, or doing whatever they do with mountains. Um, it just really resonated with me, and um, it made me want to get out on the mountains. So um, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. Fantastic! It was something again that should be enjoyed on a big screen. The bigger, the better. Mm-hmm. It will just envelop you in its grandeur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good choice. Thanks. Number one, Whew. the Grizzlies. Okay. This movie is probably the best movie I've seen so far this year. Oh well. Now, it just hit all the right notes for me. It is. Uh, an underdog story, which I always love. And it's a sports story, which I don't always love, but it, we talked about that too, how it has those sports stories have that sort of natural Built-in narrative. Built-in narrative, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like Bad News Bears meets League of Their Own. But Both it's a of bunch which of, I have not seen. What? Are you despite, serious? Despite being a baseball fan. <laughs> so you take that and then put it in none of it. Yeah. And you've got... Um, We've got a fish out of water story with a Caucasian teacher coming in to teach these Inuit teenagers history. So it's yeah. maybe 10, grade 10, 11, or 12. And then gets them into lacrosse in order to start trying to rebuild this community that is fractured by residential school survivors, drug and alcohol, mm. uh, domestic abuse. And all of this sounds or, like, how did those two things go together? Yeah, like yeah. this fish out of water and the underdog sports story. And it comes together in the most surprising and beautiful ways. There are at least three times in the movie where I, I say to myself, well, I know where this is going to go. Yeah. Oh, the kid's going to find the note. And the, nope. Surprise me. Oh, I know where this is going to go. Nope. So at least three times it took it in a totally fresh, unchartered territory, even while working within these tropes of fish out of water meets sport underdog story. Mm-hmm. It was it was so fresh, you just wanted to slap it. That's how fresh it was. It was... <laughs> I don't get the... When someone's acting fresh, it means they're being cheeky. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. back in the 50s, if a man was fresh, you'd slap him. <laughs> I'm not that kind of woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just... I mean, I cried... 
I laughed. I yeah. cheered. The music is fantastic. Um, and the team that brought it together, I think a carnivore would say, what makes a cheeseburger even better? Adding bacon. Like, you couldn't get more talented people on this project. And when I started digging a little deeper, I'm like, oh, my God. So it's directed by Miranda Dupontier, and she is one of the executive producers of Anne with an E, mm-hmm. which I'm just starting to watch now, and it's fantastic. It's written by Graham Yost and Moira Wally Beckett, and Moira is also Breaking the, Bad, Breaking Bad, and the creator of Anne with an E. Oh, okay, I don't even know that show. Oh, it's Anna Green Gables, but basically, like it, it's Anna Green Gables in the time that Anna Green Gables was written, but it's this really sort of darker exploration yeah, yeah, yeah. of what it is to be a redheaded thirteen-year-old orphan yeah. in PEI at the oh, turn wow. of the century. It is. I have blubbered through the entire first episode. I can't wow. wait to dig in more. That sounds fantastic. It's so good. And it's on Netflix. Yeah, no, and I've, and I've, I've like, I remember listening to a bunch of podcasts because the, the producers of Breaking Bad and the writers, they did a, they did a, like a kind of post episode oh, yeah, podcast okay. for every time. And, right. and, um, she was on it a bunch of times because obviously she wrote a bunch of episodes. And, um, I, I, I just haven't kept up with, what she's been up to, oh I guess, God, but that's yes. really cool. Get behind this. Yeah. And well, you told me, you told me to go see it, but I was like, I was kind of feeling under the weather. And so I figured a 45 minute finding big country would be a yeah. better option, <laughs> and, which was still good. Yeah. And obviously. I'm sure that this will get a theatrical. I really, really hope that it does. Yeah. Um, and then the, her co-writer, Moira's co-writer is Graham Yost, who's written Band of Brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speed, um, Broken Arrow, the Pacific, like these are heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then the producing team is um, also some very strong women, both of which I think are from none of it. Yeah. One did, um, I think it was Vif, I don't you know what year, but it was Angry Inuk, a documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then Stacey Aglock McDonald was nominated for 2014's live action short for the Oscars oh, wow. for a film called Throat Song. Which the director of Grizzlies directed. So I this think is. I might mer- have seen that actually. Throat song. Oh really? I'd yeah, love to see. It. I'm sure could, I can see there, it. There were a couple form. years where I went to see the all the all the nominated shorts at the at oh, the Vin City, City Theater. Yeah. Right. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure I saw that, but I can't remember what the subject matter was or anything. That's awesome. I, oh I, my god! This I mean the people that put it together. Every single person is incredible yeah the actors some of which are professional some of which aren't are amazing it is there's a whole other genre element that i I feel like there's a history of of kind of like the the teacher trying to to fix the the you know 'er ne'er-do-wells kind of thing like i'm thinking to sir with love oh exactly exactly uh stand and deliver um Dangerous Minds, like all yeah. of those or, or teacher even like stories Dead Poet where you Society can, or, Dead Poet yeah. Society, exactly. Yeah. So you have all of these very common things told in Working a way together, that yeah. is just so unique and uplifting and sad and real. Like when I say I cried, the woman beside me, we were just bawling at one point. Yeah. And then we're cheering the next point. And nothing felt predictable, even though you think that narrative would just be paint by numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I highly recommend this movie. Wow. It was my favorite movie of the fest. Um, I will see it again. I really want Paul to see it. He loves a good sports story and underdog story. Yeah. So I really hope people get an opportunity to see this movie. Cool. 
That sounds fantastic. I I feel like I can't be as passionate about my number one movie because because again I'm just kind of like muddled up in terms of like what I didn't have like a standout favorite. But um, I feel like I feel like just given the like the history that I have with with this particular individual's work and um, you know the the kind of um, the issues in the world that it deals with and all of these things it just it just kind of hits home for me in a lot of ways and so that is Sharkwater Extinction. Gotcha. Um, which which we talked about at length and which will be in theaters. Um, before yeah, yeah. you hear this yeah. particular podcast episode, we are recording this the day before its release on October nineteenth, and um, yeah, I just, I just like, I just, I just really love this movie, and um, just find it really sad that Rob Stewart is no longer here to continue um, his fight for the sharks and for the humans and for everyone. Yeah. I think that's all I really have to say. I think if you look at these 10 movies, um, a lot of them have, you know, profound sadness sort of woven through them, but all really are hopeful Mm. as well, which, um, you know, after watching four movies back to back about residential schools in Canada, I just felt completely hollowed out. But I also had to focus on there was hope in all four of those yeah. movies, three documentaries, one feature and, and the Rob story as well. He was like, this was really sad that those end yeah, credits. Like with- he, he even says himself, like, like the, the problem has gotten so much worse than when he made his, his first, his first documentary Sharkwater, but he almost seems more hopeful in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just that you know, there, there is something that we can do to to fix these problems, and I don't, I don't know that I can hold on to that hope a lot of the time. But um, it's, it, yeah, like you say, running through this list, like it's, it's good to find hope somewhere, and I think a lot of the time that is movies. So, and I wonder, watching, you know, I'm curious about the new Michael Moore documentary, but I wonder if it won't have that little bit of hope that I that I need to sustain me through you know the the bludgeoning of tragedy that yeah. uh, that history is playing out I I don't know if it would be hopeful enough and I think I might just be decimated by that documentary and I think I need to feel hopeful now so yeah. I don't I don't know if that's just a right fit coming off of two weeks of um, you know some pretty some pretty heavy documentaries so I, I, I think I need I need more hope yeah I think that is a good place to end things uh that's it for now and we will catch you next time yeah, thanks for listening and be sure to uh leave us a comment we'd love to hear from you bye bye